was with about 20,000 believers out in Nashville this past week singing with a giant band and a giant that doesn't even compare to what just happened. Um, I love singing with you people. You just need to know that. I love being able to worship alongside of you, and um, thank you to the band for leading us. But I love those songs where you just have to take a deep breath right before the chorus because you got to push it out, and uh, man, that's good stuff. So thank you. Thank you, church, for being the church and for loving Jesus so passionately. Father, I pray that as we come to your word now, we, we would rely on our good Father, you, our Father in heaven, who has, who has sent us your Son so that we can be adopted as your children. Oh, what good news that is. What love that is. So, Lord, I pray that today we would come to your word knowing that you love us and even where you instruct us and challenge us and exhort us and you're not condemning us you're simply changing us and transforming us making us more and more like your son so help us help us as we submit to your word now I pray in Christ's name amen I'm going to ask you to turn in your bibles to Ephesians chapter 6 Ephesians chapter 6 we're week 2 of a series called blueprints god's good design for the church and for family and we're going to be looking at the roles of men women children a couple of weeks ago we talked about children and and their role in the family of god and in our own families and how they they function really as a reminder to us of what the kingdom is all about and today we look at fathers it makes sense it's fathers day so we're going to look at dads today now fathers day is one of those days that brings to mind either great memories or bad memories for me it's good memories um, heartwarming feelings I, I love being a dad it's one of my favorite things my girls though i give them a hard time every once in a while all the time <laughs> most of the time every sermon whatever it may be although i give them a hard time they are my joy but Father's Day is also a hard day for people, and we know that. It, it can be hard because you may have lost uh, your father. Um, it could be that a, your father has lost your children. It could be that your dad was just a jerk, and that makes Father's Day a hard day for you. But I had a great, I had a great dad. Um, he wasn't perfect. He did model, though, for us what the love of the Heavenly Father looked like. And, and I understood God better because of my father. And I'm thankful to have my in-laws here today. So Joanne's parents are here today, and I can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that my father-in-law models that same love. He gives the best hugs. Um, and, I mean, I get a giant bear hug every time I see the man because I know I'm accepted. And that's hard to do when you're the son-in-law, right? But I know I'm accepted because he loves me. And so I want to thank him as well for helping me to know what it looks like to be a father. Next week, we're going to dive more deeply into the love of the father for the son and that heavenly father for his son. But today, over the course of the next few weeks, and today we're looking at this design of God for us, for male, female, according to God's word. So what we're doing in the midst of this is we're submitting ourselves to God's word. We want to see what God has to say to us about fathers, about mothers, about the church, about our roles. There are plenty of opinions and books out there that tell us what our roles should be as fathers, as mothers. But in a world that can't even decide if male and female is a real thing, I'm not sure that relying on their word or their ideas about what husbands, fathers, mothers should be 
is really the wisest thing. So we're going to come to God's word. We're going to submit ourselves to God's word. We're going to believe that it's perfect, that it's inerrant, that it's sufficient for our life and for godliness. It's sufficient to direct us not only in general about life, but in knowing and believing and living according to God's design. We have to come to the author of the design in order to know how to live by his design. And so Ephesians chapter 6 has words for children and for fathers. And let's just admit it. Sometimes we read words in Scripture, we read commands in Scripture, we read instructions in Scripture, and we don't like them. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 is one of those for children. They don't like this one. Okay, but even though we don't like it, we have to submit to it because it's God's word. And this is what it says. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. It's a great place to start for today on Father's Day. No, I know you're my daughter up there, but you got to put it back one more. Let's go ahead and get back it up. There you go. Okay. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. All right. Now, I'm trying to teach my girls that you don't, when it comes to an authority figure in your life, you don't start, yeah, but. Like no sentence gets to start. Yeah, but yeah, yeah but you know, but you don't understand. No, see, when God wrote his word and he inspired Paul to write God's word, when the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this inerrant word to us, it, it, it's borrowing from the Old Testament where God spoke audibly. Children, obey your parents and the Lord. Honor your father and mother. Verse two says you can go on now. It's fine. Honor your see, see she's already obeying. You like that success on Father's Day? Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Now, I know kids are going to be like, yeah, but, but my parents, there's no qualifier here. You honor your father and your mother. You obey your parents. This is the way it works. And and, and verse four says this fathers. Now, the corner is turned, right? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So first of all, just see that it is right and obedient to honor your parents. It is right and obedient to honor your parents. Parenting is a hard business and parents are due honor. Children should pay honor where honor is due. The parent and child relationship is the first and primary relationship where a child learns about God learns about righteous authority, and ultimately it's God's primary way of pointing children to how to submit to authority, how to honor authority, and ultimately to honor God as God. See, unlike the claims of many, look at the passage of Scripture. It says, obey your parents, honor your father and mother. So unlike the claims of many, God's word honors women here right alongside men. A countercultural idea in the ancient world. In the ancient world, men and women were not seen equally important in the parenting of children. Instead here, God's word is saying, honor your father and your mother. But also the Bible is calling on children to obey their moms and dads. And God is then giving specific instruction to fathers. So what does that tell you? What that should tell you is though equal, they have different roles to play. Equally essential to the life of the family and the parenting of children, but with different roles to play. So he doesn't then in verse four say fathers and mothers, both of you do this. He says fathers and he zeroes in on fathers. And today we're going to spend most of our time there. So understand that fathers and mothers are equally essential to parenting. And they're equally essential because they hold different and complementary roles in parenting. See, if, if moms and dads 
held the same role, then one would have to be primary and one would have to be secondary. Are you with me? But because they hold different roles, they can be equally essential to parenting. So when we submit ourselves to God's word and we see that God gives complementary roles here, he calls out fathers first and he gives fathers, dads, something that we have to do. We have to establish and lead and promote the culture and the processes of our home, something that we often turn over to the mother. But we should be leading in such a way that our family, our home is pursuing God and his glory. So the Apostle Paul here has something to say about how fathers are to parent in bringing up our children. We're not to be distant. We're supposed to be in the middle, in the middle of it, in the mix, at the lead. But before he even gets to the point of raising them up and what to do, he deals first with the heart of fathers. Look back at verse 4. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Before he ever gets to bring them up, He deals with the father's heart. He deals with the father's problem. He deals with the father's issues. God's word is first concerned with the heart of fathers before it's concerned with the role of fathers. So before God's word concerns itself with what you're to do as a dad, it deals with your heart first. And and this is what the command is. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. This first charge is concerned with the anger and frustration of fathers before you get a charge to avoid anything or to teach them anything. Why? Because the easiest way to raise angry kids is to be an angry father. The easiest way to produce a heart that's far from God is to be a dad who's far from God. The heart of the father will actually be passed down to the heart of of the children. So this first charge is all about avoiding passing on the anger and frustration to our children. See earlier in Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 4 and you can just flip over one page and you'll find it there in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to all believers. Only like two of you did that. I know some of you are swiping, but you can actually do that if you want to. You can look at it in Ephesians chapter 4. Paul writes to all believers and just so you understand when he writes to all believers, that means he's writing to fathers as well, okay? And this is what he says. Therefore, having put away falsehood, verse 25, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. See, whatever is true of the larger body of Christ is true of families in God's design. So whatever is true, there are roles to play everything. But also, when we're supposed to be loving one another, putting away falsehood out here in the church and in the world, we should be doing that at home as well. And he says, you are members one of another. Where is that clearer than in the family? That we belong to one another, that we're members of one another. Verse 26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. We'll come back to that in a minute. And give no opportunity to the devil. Look, go on down to verse 31 of chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Just here in this passage, there are at least three quick lessons we can learn about how fathers can provoke their children to anger and what we need to do to avoid it. So the the charges don't provoke your children to anger. And here in chapter 4, he's talking about what anger looks like. So what do we need to learn? First of all, fathers provoke their children to anger by their own explosive anger. 
These are those fits of rage. This is what verses 31 and 32, the bitterness, the wrath, the anger, the clamor, the slander, all of those explosions, right? It's the volcanic eruption at home, right? When boom, and everybody just takes a step back, right? That's what happens. And that's one way we can provoke our children to anger. This is how we normally think that fathers would provoke their children by those fits of rage and angry words. And and it's a true and huge problem in homes. A father's excessive punishing can provoke their children to anger. A, a, A father's inconsistent boundaries when the rules just keep changing because he's angry today and we just got to deal with it. Right. Angry words and moments of rage and wrath can do immense damage to our children. It can crush their spirits, but not only does it crush their hearts and their souls, but it also sets an example. It sets an example that's neither Christ-like nor healthy for them in their life. And I'm just going to tell you, explosive anger from dad often turns into explosive anger from kids. Explosive anger from dad turns into a son who is raised, who is raised up into a dad who is explosively angry. It happens all too often, so we need to be careful to not provoke our children through our explosive anger. But the second way is this fathers provoke their children to anger by their long kindled frustration. This might actually be more dangerous in the home. A lot of the time, right? This is where in Ephesians chapter four, he says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't give an opportunity to the devil. See, when we, when we have this low, long, slow burn of anger, this long, slow burn of frustration, this kind of under the surface flow of volcanic activity. That's a danger in our homes, this long term frustration of fathers. And let's just admit it. We bring a lot of frustration into the home as dads. We bring it from work. It's not frustration most of the time with our own family. It's frustration with everybody else that we then our families get the gift of actually dealing with. We bring a lot of that frustration into our home. And and moms, you're sitting here, and if you're going, yes, my husband can be like that, first of all, remember, look at yourself before you look at anybody else, okay? Moms can be just as guilty. And I want to make sure we understand that. So don't, don't, you're not off the hook here. You don't just get to go (laughs) for the whole service, okay? Because my wife is right in front of me, (laughs) all right? And admittedly, this is my struggle. This is my struggle. The frustrations of everywhere else come into the home and they just kind of sit under the surface. And there's this there's this feeling oftentimes that disappointment is just around the corner. And, and I, I apologize in first service. I'll apologize again. Carissa's still up there. Kesset has gone back to help with the kids, I think. And I'll just say I can apologize here openly to my daughters. Say I know that oftentimes I come in with the frustrations of the world, frustrations of work, frustrations of life, and, and they are the ones who pay for it. That it just kind of sits under the surface there, and there could be a question is, are they ever going to be able to please me? And I want my girls to hear, and I want everybody here to know this. My girls please me because they are my girls. They don't need to do anything else. They are mine. So I'm pleased with you. This is the beauty of what it looks like to be able to say we belong to Jesus and therefore my children can be loved. But what happens often is there's this kind of always perceived but not necessarily spoken disappointment and underlying tension. 
And it's that sort of thing that provokes the hearts of our children to shrink, that they don't want to love. They don't want to give themselves to someone. They don't want to do that because they're just going to be disappointed or be a disappointment. But you need to also see that, you know, those explosions, those volcanic explosions, they're fed by that long burn of frustration and disappointment. And then that moment happens and it's like somebody just poked the bear, right? And the whole thing explodes. So we have to be careful with this. It doesn't show us what God's heart for his children really is. What it does is it sets a culture of the home that says, I'm against you, I'm not for you. And we're provoking our children in that way. The third thing is this, and it comes straight from Ephesians 4. Fathers provoke their children to anger by their lack of forgiving. We're told very plainly that we are to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And fathers, if we can't model forgiveness to our kids because we've been forgiven by our Heavenly Father, we're missing the greatest responsibility we have to our children to show them the love of Christ. See, by nature, our children are sinners and need to be forgiven. So dads, forgive them. Show them that Christ will forgive them. Because if we don't forgive, it just feeds that undercurrent of lava that's just waiting for something to poke it and explode. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. See, fathers, dads can be their children's clearest example of the Heavenly Father or can be the greatest hindrance to their kids trusting their Heavenly Father. So what do we do? How do we turn the corner? How do we get away from provoking our kids to anger? And because the text says in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 6, don't provoke your kids to anger. And then this word comes up, but, right? And that means that everything following will be the opposite of provoking them to anger. Everybody with me on this? This is the way the grammar works. If it don't provoke them to anger, it says, but do this instead. Then we want to make sure we're doing these things so we're not provoking our children to anger. How do we do that? The opposite of provoking our children to anger is to bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So first see the command here, here in verse 4. Fathers are to bring them up. They're to nourish and provide for the spiritual growth and health of our children. This is what we're to do. This idea of bring them up is not just make sure they get older, right? This is all about nourishing them. The same word for this phrase, bring them up, is used in Ephesians chapter 5 to describe the relationship between a husband and a wife. When you read this, no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it. That's the word, but brings it up. And so we're to nourish our children with life giving nourishment so that they know the love of Christ, so that they know the love of their heavenly father. So dads, I'll ask you, are you the one pushing the family to church? Or are you the one that comes up with the excuses to miss church? Are you nourishing them knowing where they can be fed? Dads, do do your kids hear you talk about Jesus? Or is he just a curse word in your home? Dads, do do they hear you complain more than they hear you trust? Dads, do they hear you fear more than they hear you believe that God is sovereign and in control? 
Dads, do they hear you talk about Jesus? Discipline them from God's word. Sing with passion in church. Do they have an example of your spiritual health so that when you want to feed them God's word, they actually believe they're getting something good? See, dads, if they don't see it in you as something good, when you try to give it to them, why would they want it? Like, every dad who hates broccoli, they have kids who end up hating broccoli. If every time you eat broccoli, you're like, oh, guess what your kids are going to do when they see broccoli? If every time it's like pulling teeth to get you to honor Jesus, they're not going to see it as good. You can't nourish them with that. But that's the primary command is to nourish and provide for the spiritual growth and health of our children. And that brings us to the second thing that we need to see if we're going to move away from provoking into providing is this. What's the source of the instruction and discipline? So we're supposed to bring them up in discipline and instruction, but it says something. There's a qualifier there. It says in the Lord or of the Lord, that when we're instructing them and disciplining them, that the Lord is the one who defines our discipline and our instruction. We don't get to come up with what the curriculum is. Fathers, real righteous fathers, don't just simply teach our children what we learn from our dads. That's just passing down things from generation to generation. That's not being a righteous father. That's not a bad thing, but it's not the primary job of a righteous father. We don't just pass on what we think they need to know about life. We don't just pass on our hobbies and the things we love to do. Those are all good things. Nothing wrong with those things. But a father who only teaches his kids to love fishing because he loves fishing, or a father who teaches his kids to love cars because he loves cars or to work hard because men work hard or any myriad of pursuits that are neither evil nor destructive or or simply to you obey because I said so or do what you're told. If, If that's all it is and none of those things are bad, if the instruction and discipline stops there, then we haven't fulfilled our role as godly fathers. We haven't fulfilled our biblical role here. We are to discipline and instruct them in the Lord. That's the phrase that's there. We're to show them Jesus. Oh, there's such a danger in being the fun dad, the good dad, without being the righteous father. Fathers must discipline and instruct our children in the Lord. We, we must discipline and instruct our children in the word of the Lord. This is what it looks like. The content of your discipline and your instruction to your children should be God's word, not just what you think. It's not first and foremost my job or OPBC kids job to instruct and discipline your children in the word of the Lord. That's your job, dad. You become a part of the equation when you're instructing at home, but you become the primary part of the equation when you're instructing them in the Lord. It doesn't take. It doesn't take real root in your children, what they hear in OPBC kids, what they might hear from me, what they might hear from Joanne, what they might hear from their teacher, what they might hear at BBS. Do you understand it doesn't take real root in your kids until they see it in you? doesn't mean anything. They don't know how to do it out there. They only know how to hear it in here. And until they see it in you, they don't know what it really looks like. 
So dads, discipline and instruct in the word of the Lord. Discipline and instruct your children in obedience to the Lord. This should be the method of our discipline. This should be the method of our instruction. We want you to trust and obey because there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. I want my kids to be happy in Jesus. I want them to obey the Lord. So I want to discipline my children for their souls, not for my peace. For their hearts, not just for their behavior. So dads, discipline and instruct for the souls of our children. Our children need to see and to savor Jesus, to know that he is supremely valuable over all things. That ultimately being a good dad, to be a righteous father, to be a biblical father, is to point our kids to the supreme glory of Jesus, to the fact that he is worth more than anything else, and the eternal life that we get in him, the reward is knowing Christ. And we have to discipline and instruct in the Lord. So what do we do? How do we do it? And and before we go today, I want you to have a couple of practical things that you can do. So what is this discipline of the Lord where it says discipline and instruct them in the Lord? What does that look like? It's not just pointing out right and wrong. It's not just the idea of I got a rod, so I'm going to make sure I use it. That's not what we're talking about. It really comes to the concept of training and giving our children the ability to honor God with their lives. That's what it means to discipline our children in the Lord. So first thing you need to know is what discipline is not. Discipline is not punishment. Okay, this is not what we're talking about. My girls belong to me because they are my girls. I love them because they are my girls. I don't need to exact a pound of flesh from them every time that they do something wrong. I don't push my girls away. I want them to come near. Are you with me? Discipline draws near. Punishment pushes away. This is the way Spurgeon put it for our Heavenly Father. God never punishes his children in the sense of avenging justice. He chastens as a father does his child, but he never punishes his redeemed as a judge does a criminal. Your children are not criminals in your home. They are your children. Should be treated as your children. It's unjust to exact punishment from redeemed souls since Christ has been punished in their place. Think about this for just a second. If Christ has been punished for our sins, it would be unjust of God then to punish us for sins that Christ has already been punished for. So I ask you, with your kids, if you're demonstrating grace and you pointed them to Jesus, why exact a pound of flesh from them when you can discipline them and draw them near? Discipline isn't about punishment. Discipline is about bringing and training our children, bringing them near. So what are we doing? We're disciplining our children. We're training our children to endure. Discipline is training our children to endure. Discipline is not just teaching our children the truth. It's more active. It's modeling it for them. It's training them. It's establishing rhythms in their life. It's the regimen for growth. It's the difference between the guy who goes to the gym, right, and hops on the treadmill for 10 minutes, hops off, goes home, says, did my workout. And the guy who goes has a trainer or a training regimen, and he goes daily, and he's working at it. That's what we want to discipline our children, not just to, well, I got 10 minutes. Let me go kill it on the, on the treadmill. We want their spiritual life. We want their life to be about growing and moving in a direction. So dads, we train our children. We give them the tools, the example, the exhortation to grow. We we discipline them by keeping them accountable for those things that they're doing. 
those things which honor God and those things that don't. We discipline them by showing them that is not right because it doesn't honor God. And we break them of that. We need the discipline to discipline our children to root out that indwelling sin, to root out that remaining sin, even after they're believers, to root that out of their lives. So, dads, are you disciplining your children? See, real dads discipline their kids. Real dads discipline their kids. In fact, Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that if you're not disciplined by God, you're an illegitimate child. You're not really a child of God. This is what it says. If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Real dads discipline their kids because our heavenly father disciplines his children. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 8. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. God loves us by disciplining us. You love your children by disciplining them. Is it, it is for discipline that you have to Endure. We are teaching our children to endure in this world by disciplining them. We're giving the tools and the strength to stand in this world. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. See, our children are going to be taught to endure and given the tools to endure in this life and godliness by our disciplining them, by the consequences of doing well or doing poorly. And that discipline starts with obedience and honoring parents. So, Dad, if you're always keeping your kids from the consequences of their actions, you're not disciplining them. And, Dads, if you're constantly heaping on extra consequences for their actions, you're not disciplining them. Give them a true sense of right and wrong, good and evil, discipline them towards godliness. So why are you disciplining your children? What are you disciplining your children for? Are you disciplining them to give you peace at home? Because I love peace and quiet. Love it. But is that why you're disciplining? Because if that's the case, then you're disciplining for the kingdom of Brad. Right? Kingdom of you. But if we're disciplining our children for the kingdom of God, see, ultimately, our discipline must be in the Lord to promote and to provide for the eternal life that's coming to lead our children away from self-exalting, away from looking at here's how good I am to here's how great Jesus is. See, there are a couple of people I mentioned the gym a little while ago. There's a couple of types of people. There's lots of different types of people at the gym, but there's two I want to hit on. There's two types of people that I want to mention at the gym. There's the first. This is a guy who spends a lot of time in front of mirrors, right, at the gym, always flexing, admiring the work that they put in and the results, posting Instagram photos about their time at the gym and how much they were lifting. And then there are those who are disciplining themselves, not just for the outward results, but for their long-term health. You're not going to see many Instagram photos of these people at the gym, probably still a little flabby. They're working at it, and they're trying to do this for their long-term health and to endure what's coming. They want to be able to go. And we had friends who were going to Disney World. They just simply went out and walked every day because they knew how much they were going to be walking at Disney World. They were disciplining themselves for a purpose. The question is, are you disciplining yourself so that you can flex and show how disciplined you are? Are you disciplining yourself in Christ so that you can point to how great Christ is? This is the issue at hand. We want to discipline our children away from self-exaltation to eternal Christ-exaltation. So how do we do that? We instruct them. 
We instruct them. That's the other part of it. Discipline and instruction of the Lord. But what is instruction? Well, it's not just teaching. It sounds like teaching, but it's not just teaching. If it was teaching, just teaching, he would have used the word. Guess what word he would have used? Teaching. But he used instruct. It's a different word. Instruction is not just teaching our children. We should definitely teach our children. But this word means much more than that. This word is used in Colossians chapter 1 and it's translated this way. Warning. See, instructing our children is to counsel our children against a certain course of action. See, disciplining them is pushing them towards something. Instructing them is say, don't go that way. The, the way of putting it in First Thessalonians chapter 5, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idol. That's the word, admonish, warn them, say, get to work, stop being idle, don't go down the idle life. Encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with the ball. Discipline is the positive training of our children to endure. Instruction is the negative warning of our children away from a way of life, away from a path that they need to stay off of. So discipline and instruction in the Lord. A father's instruction is meant to be corrective. We say no. Parents who can't say no to their kids aren't parenting. Do I need to say that again? Or is that pretty clear? Part of the parenting issue is don't go there. Don't do that. That's primary to the instruction of God here in his word for a father. Stop. Now, our whole life shouldn't be just stop because we're also disciplining them. We say, do this, do this, do this, do this. But part of it is don't do that. It's corrective in the same way God's word instructs and corrects and warns us. We're to be that voice into the lives of our children. Second Timothy chapter three says this about God's word. All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. You see that it's a negative correction. It's a positive training. The word of God does that. And so we, as being God's people, as being fathers, need to be instilling that into our children so that they will be equipped for every good work. A father's instruction is meant to be corrective, but it's also meant to be constructive. Remember what our command is. Bring them up. It doesn't say push them down. Bring them up. Build them up. We're building up one another. We're to be building them up, not crushing them. We're always building up and growing our children, not tearing them down and provoking. We can too often think we're instructing them when really what we're doing is we're destructing them. That's not a real word, but I said it, okay? We can think it's instruction, but it's really destruction. We can think I'm telling them not to do, but we're just bashing them over the head. And what does that look like? Well, it looks like producing shame in our children. First Corinthians chapter 4. I don't write these things, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, to make you ashamed, but to, guess what, admonish, same word, instruct you as my beloved children. So he's saying, you're like my kids, and I'm, not, I'm instructing you, I'm correcting you, I'm saying don't do that, not so that you'll be ashamed of what you've done, but so that you will know you are loved, my beloved children. A father's instruction is meant to be constructive, which really leads us to the final reality is it needs to be compassionate. You hear the compassion there? I don't want you to be ashamed. I don't want you to be condemned. We're not shaming our children and condemning our children. We're 
We're building them up, loving them. I don't want my girls to ever doubt that they're loved. When I'm instructing them, correcting them, and disciplining them, I don't want them to ever doubt that they're loved. So my instruction and my discipline needs to be compassionate. So think about this for just a second. If what you're doing in discipline and instruction is pushing your kids away, you're provoking. If it's drawing them near, it's in the Lord. Why? Because our Father, while we were still sinners, came to us, paid the price for our sins in Jesus Christ, and drew us near. Those who were far off, he drew near. So, fathers, if you just listen to this and you were like, well, jack that up, join the club. And be encouraged, not because we're all losers, but because our Heavenly Father is not. There are no perfect earthly fathers. Mine was great. My dad was great. But he loved peace in his home. And that meant he overlooked a whole lot of things that could have been dealt with. My dad could be inconsistent. My dad was not perfect. But he pointed me to Jesus because he trusted Jesus. We have a perfect heavenly father. And dads, you need to hear that today. You will never be a perfect dad, but you have a perfect heavenly father. One who did not reject us in our rebellion and sin, but sent his son to take our place and to take the punishment that we deserved. So that now he disciplines us as adopted sons and daughters. He doesn't have to exact a pound of flesh from us. He loves us and disciplines us by his grace. So to dad, today, dads, the starting point is that you've got to trust Jesus. To come to Jesus so that you'll be in right relationship with the perfect Heavenly Father. He disciplines you. He warns you. He builds you up. He instructs you. He loves you perfectly so that you can love and instruct and discipline your children. And for those who are in Christ Jesus, who are believers, as we seek the Lord and His instruction in His Word, when we seek his discipline in our lives, then he equips us to reflect that love to our kids. The compassion and the discipline and instruction of our Heavenly Father to our kids. So the message today is, dads, before you listen to the sermon and go, well, then we need to do a complete overhaul of our family. Before you go try to do an overhaul of your family today, do an overhaul of your own heart. You see, remember that the first concern was the heart of the Father. Start with yourself today. So dads, discipline yourselves before you discipline your children. First Timothy 4, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so you will save both yourself and your hearers. And Isn't that good news? When you discipline yourself, there's really good news for your kids. Dads, Heed the warnings of God's word before you pass those warnings and admonish your kids. Before you pass those warnings on to them. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, Flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Hey, anybody know what quarrels are? Anger. What are we not supposed to be provoking our kids towards? Anger. So when we're going after angry things in the world and bringing them into our home, guess where all that anger is coming from? 
So make sure you're heeding the warnings of God's word before you ever tell your kids to heed those warnings. Because it goes on to say in 2 Timothy chapter 2 that you can correct your children, your, even your opponents, you can correct them with gentleness. And God may grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses. Doesn't every dad want their kids just to come to their senses? <laughs> and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil. That's what I want for my girls. Say, I'm going to correct them. I'm going to instruct them. No, that's the way of Satan. No. I want them to escape that. So fathers, heed the warnings of God's word before you admonish your children. And finally, fathers, be filled with God's word as you discipline and instruct your kids. Speak God's word to them. Live it out. Be consistent. What you hear, hear. Go do it. Show them what it looks like. Sing it while you're here. All to build up your children. Father, I pray that today we would trust Jesus. I pray that we would be people who would trust Jesus because he is the sure reality of you as our good heavenly father. That your son is perfect and the perfect sacrifice for us so that now we have you as our father been adopted into your family. So, Lord, we need Jesus. So empower us by your spirit to trust Jesus so that we can walk through life honoring you, our Heavenly Father. And I pray especially for dads that what we bring into our homes would point our kids to Jesus, would show us that we trust that we have a Heavenly Father who is the sovereign King, that we would not concern ourselves so much with a world that rejects God and what they're thinking, but we would make sure that we are the people who believe God and follow you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Dads, this world is a scary place. It's a scary place, but our Heavenly Father has all things under control. Amen? No, I don't. You know that, right? It's not your job to have all things under control. That's His job. So let me, let me say that again. It's a scary place, but our Heavenly Father has all things under control. Amen? Amen. It's good news, right? And ultimately, He's going to bring all things under the feet of Jesus. It's not a whole lot to worry about in this world. It can be scary, but we're not supposed to fear. He is the ruler, and even through all, though all the wrong seems really powerful, our Father is the sovereign King. Do not forget that. So parents, dads especially, what is your discipline in your home? Tell about God as the sovereign King. What is your warning and instructing in your speech and activity demonstrate that you trust in? Is it showing that you fear the world or that you trust the King? That's my prayer is that we would be a people who would understand that this world belongs to our Father and we belong to Him.